Assalamu alaikum. Peace, blessings, and light be with you. This is Ihsan. I recently had the opportunity to catch up with Harun Sugic, also known as Michael Sugic, on a recent visit to Istanbul in Turkey. Harun Sugic is the author of several important works on Islamic spirituality, and these include Signs on the Horizons and Heart's Turn. His current and latest project is the ambitious nine-volume Exemplars for Our Time. During our interview, we had the opportunity to discuss his personal journey to Islam, as well as the evolution of his work and very important literary contribution to the library of faith literature in the English language. One of the most valuable aspects of Sidi Harun's works is the way he is able to communicate and convey stories and in particular, stories of the great illuminated and enlightened men and women of God, most of whom are nearly entirely unknown in the modern and Western world, even amongst most Muslims. Such rare human beings are the keys to the knowledge and wisdom of the Holy Qur'an and the prophetic teachings, and it is through them that Allah Almighty preserves the religion by making their stories, their lives, and their paths accessible to a modern Western and English-speaking audience Sidi Harun is not only making an invaluable contribution to Islamic faith literature, but also serving as an invaluable means to support seekers upon the path who are sincerely striving to attain nearness to God and His Messenger. Peace, blessings, and light be upon Him and upon all the messengers and prophets of God. Following is our conversation. Welcome, beloved Soul of Islam radio listeners. This is Ihsan, and it's my great honor and pleasure to be here with Sidi Harun Sugic, an author of numerous works and a traveler upon the spiritual path for many decades. Welcome, Sidi Harun. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the honor of thinking that I'm worth the, the, the time. Uh, Sidi Harun, you're being very humble. Your works have come highly recommended, uh, specifically by one of the teachers in Shiyukh that I've studied with, who almost prescribed your works for us to read. So uh, it's been extremely impactful and clearly of great benefit for those upon the spiritual path. And maybe we can begin there, Sidi Harun, in terms of your background. Most of our listeners, some of our listeners may not be aware of you and your work. And if you can indulge us, maybe just give us a little bit of background about yourself and uh, whatever comes to your heart to share in terms of your personal journey that's brought you and brought us to this point. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I was born and raised in, Calif in Southern California. So, uh, I wasn't connected to Islam in any, in any way. Um, and I was, um, I grew up in the theater from the time I was a child until I, I got out of university and started working. And, um, I, uh, Became very disillusioned with show business, with the, the, the business side of, of, of the theater, of film, cinema, and that sort of thing, as much as I loved the, um, the artistic side of it. I just didn't want to live in that world. <clears throat> and this coincided with a kind of spiritual, um, crisis that I went through, as many people do. And this was at a time when there were, there were a lot of, Eastern religions were, you know, entering uh, the the, the um, what do you what what do they call it? the Aquarian Age? You know, there were there were all these things going on, and uh, so uh, I I spent about a year searching for um, some kind of path that made sense to me. And I discovered uh, actually my cousin who was a an omnivorous reader. He was in the book business. He just read everything. He handed me some books on Sufism. And uh, they made, you know, an incredible amount of sense. And the interesting thing was that I, I wasn't, I didn't consider myself to be very religious or anything. I certainly wasn't well read in, in, in these areas. But um, what I understood was uh, the concept of dhikrullah, because as an actor, uh, I understood that repeating something over and over, rehearsing, the, the, uh, the act of, of rehearsal, which in French is called repetition, um, that, it, that qualities would sink into you. 
And I started to have this, um, this idea that you could have a theater that was benign. Because, you know, the problem with, with the theater is that most of the great characters that you wanted to play, and I wanted to play, you know, like Iago in Othello, you know, who is completely evil, and Macbeth, you know, they're, they're incredibly flawed, and you have to invoke those qualities. Um, and so I started to have a problem with, with, with that aspect of the theater, and, um, uh, so when I read about Sufism and I read about this idea of dhikrullah, it made complete sense to me. And I, so I, I went sort of headlong into looking for Sufis. And I didn't know anything about, I, I didn't know anything about Islam. I didn't know anything about Sufism. And I just sort of wandered into this world of, of what we would call now pseudo-Sufis, you know, who were, Say using the Sufism as a as a as a as a name for something that they had no understanding of. I didn't know that it was connected to Islam. And then I met a group of um, Muslim Sufis from uh, mainly from England and some from the U.S. And um, I watched the prayer for the first time in in Jamaat. About maybe twenty five people praying together. And they, in a kind of an exhibition, you know, an open gathering for people who were interested. And I, I said, this is it. You know, I, I could, and, and they did dhikr, uh, they did a, a wird, which is something I still do. It's the same thing. I've, and this was 50 years ago. And, uh, I, I immediately, I said, this is it. I'm, I, I know this is the right thing to do. And it was all instinctual. And I had absolutely no knowledge of Islam. And I didn't know anything about the Prophet, So this was a, I, 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 I entered Islam on, just on instinct and on the basis of la ilaha illallah. That was the, the thing, that was the, the phrase that, you know, sort of captured my imagination at that time. So, you know, so I started like that. And, um, and then I had the problem because I was a professional actor at that time, just starting out, uh, but with some prospect of being, I, 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 I was talented, so I knew that I'd be successful on one level or another, but I also saw, I had the sort of ability to see what it would be like for me to be like 30 years older. And I, and I, I said, I really don't think I want to grow old in, in do, doing that kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, so, um, uh, but I, that was all I know. I knew I was good at that and I didn't have any other. And then I realized in probably in about 1980, this was after I'd been a Muslim for quite a while. I gave some talks in Fez at uh, the university there. And, um, the, the professor who invited me to come and talk to the students, they were, they were very moved by the, what I was talking about. I can't remember anything I said, but, and he said, you know, uh, you're, it was a great, you're, you're a great communicator. And I thought, well, that's, that's what I've always done. You know, I, I was in the theater. I was a musician. So I was always communicating in one way or another. So I started to write. And uh, I made a living as a writer for about 40 years. And it got to a point where I was writing for other people or I was writing. I did a lot of travel writing. I, I wrote for film. I, I, I wrote in, in almost every kind of medium. And I made a living at it. But I wasn't really writing what was close to me, which was, you know, my relationship with the, the path to Allah and uh with the, the people that I, I um, was able to meet on that journey. So I, uh, my daughter was uh, studying in uh, Paris. She was studying art in Paris uh, during the su- like a summer session. And so I went with her, and well, she, she'd go off to her classes, and I sat and wrote the, this book, uh, which is called Signs on the Horizons, and uh, it was a fantastic experience because I just immersed myself in the memories of the people that I'd met. 
And I realized that um, we, we've lost the, as Muslims generally, we've lost the ability to tell stories. And if you read the Quran, it's full of stories. If you, the Hadith literature is kind of a continuous story of incidents and anecdotes and things that happen. And so I, I think that that book, if it's if it has a value or if it has some some kind of um, meaning for people, it's because you bring to life certain qualities or certain aspects of of the the the, the path to Allah in a practical way and and in an active way. And you don't have to get into the theory or the or the the intellectualizations. You just watch what people do, and they can teach you a lot. And in my experience, this is this is really. I mean, the Sufis say say that the like the uh, wali is the one who does what he knows. So it's active. It's being active. It's not you, you know talking about things that you don't know about. The, we went to a. I, I attended a few years ago. A, uh, like I don't know if you, you can't call it a conference, but like a seminar with uh, people who, you know, who spoke, you know, ulama talking about kalam and different aspects of the deen. And it was kind of tedious, I have to say. And uh, one of the, there was a really great sheikh who was, was in the, in the audience just watching. And at the end of the, um, at the end of the, <clears throat> the first day, uh, I, I, his, his assistant asked him, uh, you know, what did you think? He said, well, it's people talking about things that they don't know anything about, you know. I mean, they don't, they don't really understand. And um, so that's, that's what's – and this, this sort of coincided with the end of my uh, professional career. Uh, I, I started a communications company. Uh, in Saudi Arabia uh, in the in the 90s, and uh, by the time I started writing, I was you know phasing myself out of that business, which I didn't really much care for anyway. But it was I had six children to support, so uh, I went ahead with it. So uh, yeah, so one thing led to another, and and I you know that that book I had absolutely no idea. What would happen? Uh, you know how the uh, how how the book would affect people. Whether it would you know it was in, would be of interest. I actually wrote these stories for my children because um, they were many. Even the eldest ones were very young when I was sitting with some of these really great people, and so I just wanted them to have a record. And the irony is, I I'm not sure that any of them has actually read through the the, the book, you know, but other people have. And I I told my friend uh, Shams Friedlander, who's my, also my neighbor, um, that uh, you know if if one person gets something out of these the the book, it, it would it would be worth it. And I have a friend who's from one of the royal families in uh, the Middle East, and her mother was. Um, basically suffering from cancer and she ultimately passed away from cancer and she told me that her mother insisted that every night she read to her from my book and I said okay it was worth it you know just something like that and so it's and also you get to think about these people you know you don't have to you don't have to um, try to con you know work up enthusiasm for the subject it's already there so um, I, I i hope that's you know uh, that's interesting enough for your for your recording mashallah absolutely and i can certainly relate uh, the desire to provide something for our children oftentimes uh becomes a means for us to actually be of some service to the world right um so a lot of questions come up, Sidi Harun, but before I go into the work with the book, I'm just curious, maybe if you can share with us, you, you mentioned that sort of seeing and witnessing the prayer in Jaman congregation mm -hmm. for the first time had an impact on you. And you really didn't have any predisposed ideas about Islam at that time. So in a sense, you were in this sort of innocent state of just being able to see something for what it is. Right. What was your experience witnessing 
the prayer without any preconceived ideas or notions prior? Well, I had gone through a year of going through all these different spiritual paths. You know, I mean, I sat with swamis and and gurus and Buddhists and, you know, looked at statues and tried to, you know, tried to make some sense of all, all of that. And the only thing, the only thing that I had learned uh, was the phrase, la ilaha illallah. And that floored me when I first heard it. It just made, I, it, I, 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 it's not that I understood it, but it, it meant something to me. And I kept that through that whole period and I, but I, but during that twelve-month period that I was looking around, I became more and more confused. I mean, I was really, really, you know, blown out because I was trying this and doing that, and I was seeing people prostrating to other people, and I was, you know, and I, 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 I just wanted to know how to pray, and um, I didn't believe the people that that uh, I was around, and suddenly. What I discovered was this group of people, and they were very grounded, very unpretentious, decent people, not pretending to be something other than they were like holy or anything. They were just salt of the earth types of people, and and they were also very intelligent, very creative, and that sort of thing. Uh, one of the people that I, I met was Hakim Archuleta. I don't know if you know about Hakim, but he was one of the first people that I met, and he, I just I love him, you know, for, from that point. He and his wife, you know, sort of took me in. And um, also Abdul Hai Moore, who, uh, you know, so these these guys had were pretty new to Islam, but they were sort of ahead of me like a year or two or something. And um, so it was that experience. And then it was then going to Morocco and meeting genuine uh, Aulia, and this was at a time. These were the um, the uh, uh, followers of uh, Sheikh Mohammed ibn Al Habib, uh, who had just passed away at the age of about one hundred, and um, he created. The, the, I mean, he, there, there were. It was overwhelming, almost the number of Aulia in in one room, and I, I started going gray. I was only 24, and I, I started, my hair went gray in about three weeks. I was just in, in shock from seeing these people because these were people that didn't care about anything except remembering Allah. That was it. And they, they didn't care about my personality. They didn't care about, you know, what I thought I was or, you know, the, that's all they cared about. And there were some people who were really, really almost angelic. And, you know, we saw everyone who was in that, that, that first period saw amazing things. I mean, really great. They were just wonderful people. And uh, so that made a kind of huge impression on, on everyone who was, you know, in that room. I mean, uh, I've written a book in, in the series that we're publishing uh, right now um, on Ibn Habib. I, I was kind of forced into writing since the person who was commissioned to write this, the book backed out at the last minute. So I had to sort of jump in and take over that project. But um, it was it was interesting because I I went and canvassed some of the people who were there 50 years ago and what their impressions were. And, and uh, it was interesting. Every, he, he made a huge impact, but also his people. Um, Imam Shazali, radiallahu uh, anhu, was asked why he didn't write books. And he said, my companions are my books. And that's like uh, Ibn Habib, that's what it was like with him. And also his brother, uh, in his spiritual brother, was Sheikh Ahmed Mustafa Al-Alawi of Mostaganem. And the same thing was true with, with uh, Sheikh Al-Alawi. The, there was just this enormous group of people who were, had, had achieved, you know, uh, wilaya. They'd reached the goal and you can, and you could feel it. You could see what they're, and the thing that, you see with these people is they don't have uh, ego. The ego's gone. 
And it's not just like one day they don't have ego and then the next day, you know, they slip up. They're always like that. And when you're around these people, you it, at first it's hard to sort of perceive that because it's not like they're floating in on clouds or they're, they're you know, they're all bright and with halos and they're they're just ordinary people but they don't have enoughs their or ego is just gone and when you see that it, you you can start you start being able to make a um uh, to discern these people to a certain extent you know even if you don't understand their whatever station that they're in and so being in in a room with you know maybe 50 people like that it's uh it's it's very, very intense. And I wrote about some of these experiences in, in Signs on the Horizons. And um, it, they, uh, it's, they've stayed with me. And I've learned. And so I think when, when that book came out, um, it, it's, it kind of revived a genre of writing that um, had, had been, had, had sort of faded away. In, during the last 100, 150, 200 years, um, which is the, the tradition of the tabakat literature of, you know, the, what, what's called uh, incorrectly, I think, hagiographies, where you, 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 you write something that's a tribute to the saints, which is, which is as it should be. I mean, you don't want to dig into and try to find dirt on people who are so pure, not that you could. But um, it's also, the literature is very realistic. I mean, you know, many of the... So the second book was really sort of drilling down into something much, much closer to the reality that we all live, which is this idea of tauba. Because people don't understand. I realize that young people really have no idea of tauba. We used to have people coming to us who who left the prayer, left everything because they did a, a sin. You know, they went with a girl or something. And and when I was doing these um, book tours for the first book, people would come to me and, you know, I remember this this guy was probably 40, 35 or 40, and he starts talking about things he did when he was in high school, you know. And it was pretty innocent stuff. I mean, it was he was... Um, I don't know. I can't remember what he said, but I said, I said, how old are you now? And he said, I'm 35. He said, like, this is 20 years old, you know, leave it behind, you know. I said, I've, wor I've done worse stuff than that. Don't worry about it, you know. Don't do it again, you know, which is tauba. Tauba is you say, okay, I'm not going to do it. It's active and you don't do it. And uh, even if you want to, whatever it is. So, um, that book was kind of an outgrowth of Signs on the Horizons in a way, uh, but it was telling, going at it from the opposite side of the spectrum of people who some did really terrible things. You know, I mean, I interviewed a gangster who, you know, a, a, an East London gangster who became a Muslim and uh, a pimp who became a Muslim and became a professor, in, a university professor, and earned his degrees when he was in prison, you know, for uh, whatever it was that they call that, I forget. And, uh, and, and, and there were other stories that were more benign, you know, of professional people coming into Islam late in life, all these things. And it, they all revolve around around the, the act of tauba, of cha changing. And the purpose of it was to sort of show people, you know, you're not beyond redemption, that Allah, as long as you're breathing, you can make tauba, as long as you're alive. And, uh, and, and, and that book was because you're dealing with sin as well as good things, it's more fun <laughs> to read, I, I think. You know, there's a, there's there's some funny aspects of that that we that I got into, and I think that's very important as well. That we don't want to be too serious about things. I mean, all of this, the aulia that I, I've ever sat with uh, had great senses of humor. You know, I mean, they they're light, 
um, they're not frivolous, but they're or stupid, but they're they're light. They 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 see the humor in in, in things, and so you know it's it's it, it, this world is is a very beautiful world to to inhabit uh, and do to do creative work in that in that way, and and we there is an audience for it. I mean. Um, it's not a huge audience, but it's an, it's it's worth it's a worthwhile audience uh, of young people, and especially women. There are so many women that are interested in spirituality in a, in a way that sometimes I think men are not. You know, I've 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 gone to book reading. We've done book readings, and the audience is composed of maybe. 75 or 80 percent women and a few men scattered around and i'm not sure why that is but i think it's it's something that people are really the yearning for this kind of guidance and and that you know the that perspective on things it, it seems that there's been a divine order to the way that even you've published for example first highlighting the lies of illustrious human beings, models and exemplars for human beings, manifestations of perhaps we can say God's will for humanity, and then following that up with a book on turning back towards God or Toba, repentance. As many have said, that Toba is the first step upon the spiritual path. It seems quite uh, inspired, Sidi Harun. What I want to ask you about next is this idea, and really I think you're especially qualified perhaps to answer this question because of the work that you've done. Allah says in the Quran that he is going to preserve this book and this religion, the reality of it, the essence of it. And sometimes we tend to think, or the way that that's generally interpreted is that the Quran will be preserved in its text without interpolation or mistakes or errors. But when we go back to the Sunnah of the Prophet and the Seer of the Prophet, we realize that based on the Hadith, he was the walking Qur'an. His character was the Qur'an. Mm-hmm. So this idea that Allah preserves the religion, not in some sort of archive form, but in living human beings. Yeah, absolutely. And the importance of that idea and of the necessity of seeking the company of such people to truly understand the reality of the religion, if you could just perhaps speak to that. Sheikh Tarkawi, radiallahu anhum, said, if we lived the way that, um, that uh, according to the sunnah of the Prophet, if we truly lived in that way, uh, um, without what he called the turbidity of of life and the distraction and all the things, that you wouldn't need a guide or a sheikh. You, You would be enough to follow the sunnah. But the, we don't live in in that situation anymore, and the you know all of the all of the um, guides on on the way say that you you must have a living a living sheikh. You need someone who's alive who can help you through the difficulties of of overcoming this the ego the nafs. So um, we're we're living in a time that is full of distraction and actually we're you know people can sort of think that we're living in a christian or judeo-christian world post-christian or a secular world no we're actually living in an atheist world now people are very uncomfortable with even the concept of god i'm not saying muslims are muslims are closer and there are of course many other people uh, in the world who have belief and faith and that, that, but the dominant, you know, in the media, in what we, what we take in, what we see, it's, it's informed by, by a kind of an atheist sensibility. People don't, they can't conceive, they have to call something, something else, you know, in like Star Wars, it's the force. They can't name what it is 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 divine. They have to turn it into something material because they can't believe in uh, divine reality. It's very, it's very, um, uh, it, it's corrosive. The you know what's happening. So people are living in a time when they they need guidance to get out of this thing to go inward. 
Um, and um, so, and this is uh, this has always been the case from very early times. You, you, you. Uh, there's a saying that whoever doesn't have a sheikh for a master has shaitan for a master. And of course, that's very disturbing. Like, oh my God, you know, I'm I'm gonna if I don't have a sheikh, then shaitan is gonna step in. But you know, it's not it's not black and white that way. You sometimes, and one of the you know that what we're trying to do is to to give people in this new project, which is called the Exemplars for Our Time. Um, in this project, we're trying to to paint a picture. Uh, both visually and, and literally in, in, in a literary way of of who these people are what what they're like um, and so we've we've chosen eight uh, great aulia who are contemporary that they're not mythical figures in you know from the past and so we've chosen eight people that fit that description and um to give people a, a, like a like a, a, a feeling or a, a, an understanding of what these people are like, they're human. They're not supernatural beings. Um, they're they're completely honest. And the the central thing is that they they don't the ego is absent. Somewhere along the line, where they 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 were purified, and also most of the people that we profiled were incredibly pure because now you have someone who you know as a teenager or as a you know a young adult gets religion and then 5 years later he's like sitting on a on a you know on a on a cushion and people are coming to see him hold forth and these people started from infancy and became you know the most of them were hafiz of quran you know, really extraordinary people, and they they gave up a lot, and they experienced what um, Hamza Yusuf calls uh, sacred monotony. You know, this day in and day out practice. We're 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 so spoiled. We you know we have so many experiences. You know, and if we don't have these experiences, we think nothing's happening. And these people did the same thing day in and day out, and day in and day out. And you know, for a, for a lifetime, and it may you know without without trying to have something happen. So it's to give people an understanding of what that world is, and it's a beautiful world, but it isn't a fantasy world. It isn't a Marvel comics you know universe. It's it's uh, it's 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 reality. It's it's the daily grind of of following the prophet, following the sunnah, and remembering God in every possible situation, in every, you know, so, you know, I'm sure you know this saying that the, the, the people of, the men of and women of God are slave, abid al-waqt, they're the slaves of the, 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 the instance. So we're trying this, the, and you know, this project that we're doing now, uh, the exemplars for our time, it, it really kind of the genesis of the project, leaving aside uh, the, the interest that Peter Sanders and I both share in the subject itself. It came out in the, it's sort of emerged in 2015 uh, when Islamic State was rampaging across the the Muslim world and, you know, capturing prisoners and territory and headlines by means of atrocities that were broadcast across the Internet. I mean, it was just horrible. And uh, I was in Abu Dhabi uh, uh, at at a dinner with one of the representatives of the John Templeton Foundation, which is a very extraordinary, um, really an extraordinary organization that funds all kinds of research. And um, so we were having this conversation just about what was going on because it was so disturbing uh, about, you know, uh, ISIS and, and what was happening. I can't remember the incidents, but I said, look, one of the major contributing factors in the rise of extremism is the, the absence of role models for Muslims. There are no spiritual role models. 
there are, you know, athletes and singers and actors and, I don't know, maybe politicians or something like that, but there's nobody. And I say, well, what I said, in the, and this is true, is in traditional societies, the role models were all the aulia. They didn't, you know, you didn't have a, like a, like a movie, you didn't have a theater actor or a singer until the 20th century that was a role model of anything, you know. But now all these people uh, have replaced the aulia, and there were reasons for it. So I, I, you know, I sort of went, went, you know, went into why, why the, the, this, the, the, this absence existed. And, you know, talked for a little bit and then forgot about it. And I went home and three or four days later, I got a message that they, they wanted uh, a proposal on Muslim exemplars, right? They use that word. So I looked into it and I discovered there's a whole academic field of exemplar studies, you know, and so they, they saw that as a, a potential. So that's how this this project sort of that was the beginning of the project. So I wrote a pre preliminary proposal, and the organization that I was consulting for, I was uh, submitted it through them, uh, and they never did anything with it. They just sat on it and they never submitted it. So I forgot about it. But then when uh, Peter Sanders and I were uh, traveling around the U.S. on a sort of a joint book tour in 2019. One of the stops that we landed in was Allentown, Pennsylvania, and there we met the representative who was in charge of the Muslim division, I guess, or the Muslim section of the John Templeton Foundation, and we had uh, tea or something. And um, I told him the story, you know, that I'd done this thing, and I said, is there anyone, is any, do you think there'd be any interest still in that? And he said, "Yeah, you know, we, yes, you should make us. You should make a proposal." He said, "It's due in a week. I think it was like a, and I we were touring, so like I frantically dredged up my files and so you know, and I I cobbled something together and and I managed to deliver in in the in the deadline, and then when and that was accepted, and then we went through all the procedures and we started." with this project and we chose originally the idea was to do 12 biographies but also it, there are limits to their funding you know they have different different rules for different kinds of funding and uh, so we pared it down to 9 and by the time we started we started exactly in the month that the COVID pandemic began like in earnest. And so we did the, the, the project in lockdown for a year. One of our authors died from COVID. Another of the authors um, contracted what has turned out to be long COVID and was in hospital for about three months. And, 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 and it was, so what we'd originally planned as a one-year project has taken like two and a half years to do it. And five of the manuscripts I had to, um, they were unpublishable. They just weren't up to the standards we were looking at. So it was this constant struggle. But we, alhamdulillah, we've, we've managed to finish finish these. And you see them on on the table here. MashaAllah, they just arrived literally as we were having this interview. And it looks like a beautiful series of books that uh, I'm very much myself looking forward to uh, experiencing. Yeah. And so what I'd like to ask you then, Sidi Harun, is what, what is your intention and your hope in taking on this project in the sense that of what you hope and intend readers will get from going through these biographies of contemporary living masters and exemplars of faith and of sincerity? Well, what we hope is, uh, what I personally, what I hope is that we can encourage a kind of paradigm shift for young people uh, toward uh, the, the um, spiritual path of Islam, to redefining what Islam has is has now become in the minds of most people, and then there are historical reasons why 
for example, spirituality has been has been marginalized. I mean, there was a, a, a popular book that came out a few years ago, and they talked. The, the the author said, "I'm not going to deal with Sufism," and it was about Islam and extremism. He said, "I'm not dealing with that." And then he later on, and this is a very learned um, uh, professor. He said, "I'm not going to deal with." It. He he characterized Sufism as an orientation, whereas in fact, Sufism is is the science of Ihsan. It's your name. It's it's it is the it is the we you know we 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 know that that our Deen has been defined by Sayyidina Jibril and the Prophet as Islam, Iman, and Ihsan. And Ihsan is what Sufism is about. It's about the sciences of pure, the purification of the heart and of direct knowledge of God. And this has been lost, I'm afraid, among most young people. Now Islam is an identity. It's a community. It's, it's, a, it's an activism. It's a political ideology, it's all all these things. It's none of the it's not any of these things at all. Islam is about one thing and one thing only. It's about not knowing God. That's what it's about. Now what does that mean? That's a whole you know, that's that's a lifetime of 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 learning of that. But that's what it's about. It's all these other things are ancillary. They're subsidiary to that central uh, reality of Islam. So what we'd like to do is to show how, what that looks like. So the first book in is the, it's called The Luminous Virtues of the Sages of Islam. It's, it forms a kind of an introduction to the, to this field and it tries to explain in a very short space, why we're, we've reached this state, state of affairs that people have, have completely divorced spirituality from their religion. You know, it's like you're religious, but you're religious. It's like, it's what um, Khalid Abu Fadl says that, you know, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he's, you know, to the sort of the, the what he calls Puritans, the God is up here, we're down there, and there really isn't any connection. You just, we just have to behave ourselves and do what we're told, and then we'll go to heaven or hell, depending on how we perform. And, you know, the, the, it's, that's uh, hugely over, you know, oversimplified, as we know. So it's to bring, bring that world back into and to show what the reality of it. I mean, these people that we're talking about are the most rigorous in their practice of Islam. I mean, absolutely rigorous, but within a huge spectrum. Because on the one hand, we have uh, Hamza, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf wrote about his his teacher, his Sheikh, Sheikh Murabit al-Hajj, who was the absolute ultimate Zahid, ascetic. He was an extraordinary, extraordinary man. Uh, his asceticism is almost un, unfathomable, you know, he, he, the way he lived. And uh, Sheikh Hamza lived with him for like two years, I think, which I, I don't think I could have survived like three nights. You know, it would have been really tough. Anyway, he uh, saw on the, on the one side, part of the side of the spectrum, you have someone like that. On the other, you have Muzaffar Ozak, uh, Effendi, who was the sheikh of the Jarahi order and grew up in, in a time when, you know, in the Republican period and when Islam was, was under wraps and when Turks, not until 1949, they didn't, weren't able to make Hajj until 1949. And he was a completely different kind of character. He taught in, Koshka Cafe, and you know, they'd be in Nargila places, and he would be walking on. But he taught, he helped people immensely, and he was a Hafiz of Quran, he was a Khatib, he was an, you know, Imam, he, you know, he was a Muazzin, and he was a bookseller, he was all these things, and he was completely different. So that's the other side of the spectrum, and in between, you had all these other remarkable people. 
And what we tried to do, I mean, one of the books is about um, a Pakistani, an English, well, Pakistani uh, English uh, uh, sheikh who was known as Sufi Abdullah Khan. And he, I met him in the 70s, and he was really impressive. He was this towering, very tall um, Punjabi um, who basically did dhikr all the time and did dhikr all night, and then he'd go out and he'd do a 12-hour shift as a shop foreman in a in a foundry, which, you know, foundries are blazing hot, miserable places, really difficult. And he had been a soldier. He'd been a POW. Um, he he en enlisted when he was 17 years old in 1940 and was in the worst battle of the North African campaign and was captured, was wounded, captured, and incarcerated in Germany in a stalag um, for about three years and then escaped and walked back to um, to Pakistan somehow, or got himself back to Pakistan. And then he, while he was in the army, he met his sheikh, and his sheikh was the tailor of, you know, the regiment, the regimental tailor. And it's just extraordinary stories. And he was a beautiful soul. I mean, really, really beautiful. And he he settled in Birmingham and basically... Around, built this really powerful community of people in uh, in Birmingham. So what we're trying to show, you know, the, how people lived in in this world. Um, and I mean, Sufi Abdullah passed away, and I think twenty twenty sixteen. I can't remember. It could be twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. So it's he's lived, you know, recently, and and. Um, Morabit al-Hajj passed away at the age of 112 in uh, 2018, I think. So they lived in our time, but they lived out of time in a way, all these people. So we hope that this, this will give people a kind of a, help people understand that world by seeing how these people lived. My teacher was Sayyid Omar Abdullah, who was known throughout East Africa as Muini Baraka. Uh, and he, he was, a, he was, oh, I, I adored him. Uh, but he was, um, he was a diplomat and he was an educator. And I spent seven years with him. And I realized in doing this project that I really didn't know anything about his life. Cause these people, they don't talk about their lives. They'll, you know, they'll bring up some anecdote to illustrate a point or something, but they, they don't, talk about themselves. So when I got into his life, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't realize the challenges that he faced in his life. I mean, he was in prison. He, you know, he lost basically everything. He had to go, he moved to the Comoros. He, he, was in, he was involved in maybe three coups. I mean, he wasn't involved, but he was suffered from three coup d'etat you know, revolutions and things like that, which just upended his life. And yet he never, never spoke about these things. So, you know, for me, it was really, really interesting, uh, you know, to, to delve into the lives of these people uh, because there isn't much information on, on them. We really had to dig. You mentioned the self and the ego and... The question that comes up, Sayyid Harun, is you've been in this world and upon this path now for decades. What would you say, how would you describe the self and the ego? And why is it important to learn to somehow become liberated or free or emancipated or transcendent from the self, from the ego in the context of Islam? Well, the, the uh, I mean, I am really not qualified to, to speak on a subject like this with any authority. Um, but what I can tell you, the little that I, I understand is that, you know, you have to abandon the self if you want to know Allah. There's a, you know, there's an allegorical um, 
it's not a story, but you know, the, the seeker knocks on the door and, and the voice on the other side of the door said, who's there? And the seeker says, it's me. And the voice, you know, disappears. There's no, no answer. So he comes back and he keeps knocking on the door and keeps being asked who's there. And he keeps saying, it's me. Don't you know me? It's me. And finally, uh, he knocks on the door after years and years of doing this. And this, the voice on the other side says, who's there? And he says, it's you. And then the door opens. And what the, the Aulia say, what has been written, uh, is that you have to leave yourself behind. Because, uh, and this is something that I get into in the, in the introduction, is uh, we, the, the two, as you well know, the two uh, uh, highest stations of knowledge are called fana and baka. And fana is the, it's, it's translated incorrectly, I, I believe, as annihilation. But what really it is, is, is evaporation or effacement. It's not something you want to happen. It's not like some violent, like, whack. It's, it, it, I suppose it can be. I, Allah, uh, I don't, I'm not, like I said, I'm not really qualified to get into or talk about those things. But, um, and the, the, this, the higher station is Baka, where you, 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 you leave who you are, who you are, and then you come back to who you are, but in, in a completely different, um, level of understanding because you see that everything, all of the duality is actually from Allah and you see it, not you think it, you, it's an experience. So the only way you can achieve these stages is to get rid of the self. The self is in, this is the lower self, you know, with lusts and everything, but it's also all these little things, you know, it's like the, who I am, you know, I'm a good person. That's the nafs. That's the ego. I'm, I'm humble, you know, even if you never say it, but you, you think it, you get to the point, you have to leave all of that behind. And that, and then what happens is, according to the, uh, the shuyuk, is that you have, um, the, 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 with, in fana, it's like you get rid of everything, which is what they call tachlia. And, it's every, everything that you've gotten rid of is replaced. All the qualities, the lower qualities that you have are replaced with beautiful qualities. And this is called tahliya. And that, and when you reach that station, and this is what I was saying about these people, that's what's happened to them. They've reached a point where there's just only good qualities. They, they don't, bad qualities are gone. They're just, they've evaporated. And that's what you, and then, and these people are happy. The, you know, it's not that they're laughing all the time and they're having, but they're, they're at peace and the, and this is what we want. And they have an understanding and they're not rocked by things. You know, they're not afraid of anything because they see that everything is from Allah in, in reality. And there are a lot of people that have these experiences that we're unaware of. Because if you have the experience, you don't go around telling people about it. It's, it's, you're in it and you don't want to mess it up, you know. So, um, it's very important. You, if, but by the same token, um, the, uh, Aulia now, they understand that we're living in an incredibly distracted age, a, a very challenging age. And they, they don't, uh, they, they actually, advise against trying to do too much or overloading the self. Or um, uh, it's what Imam uh, Abdullah al-Alwi al-Haddad uh, called um, the method of the people of the right hand. He said, we're no longer in the method of the people who are drawn near the muqarrabun. We're now in a period where, where you, you just be a Muslim. You know, you, you practice your Islam, but you do it under some guidance. And the shuyuk, they're, they're gentle now. They, they're not harsh. They don't throw people into, 
it's rigorous uh, halwas and the you know it's, things uh, happen very gradually but if you f- follow it you you have a much much greater um ability to achieve something inwardly some one of we used to visit um a uh, uh, great wali who had 55 shayukh including sheikh ahmed mustafa alawi and he was he was over a hundred at the time. He was around that age, and he was blind. And uh, someone asked him, "What happens if you do dhikr and it doesn't reach the heart?" And uh, he said, "Do more. Just keep keep doing it." He said, "Because sometimes the dhikr doesn't happen, doesn't take effect until five minutes before you die, and that's what we're we. You can't do something and expect." Like something, everything to happen, which is a mistake people, everybody makes in, in, at some point, is that they want, you know, they think, well, I'm, I'm now, you know, on the path, I have a thicker, it's all going to happen for me. It could be 30 years before something happens. Maybe it's never, but maybe it's in the next world. You don't know. I was just reading uh, Imam Shazali uh, was saying that every soul has to experience an equal measure of of constriction and bust expansion, but that this world is the wor- is the domain of kabd. That it's generally you know we're in, we're we're in constriction. Even if even if we're having fun, you know, or something, there's some part of us that's constricted. And the next world is the world of expansion. So sometimes the, the people go through terrible, you know, difficulties. And, but that's, that's creating a balance so that in the next world, inshallah, they have bust. And, you know, everybody wants to feel good all the time. You're not supposed to feel good all the time. Sometimes you feel good and sometimes you feel terrible. And what the Sufis say, you know, one of, one of the shayukh, uh, I think it was Sidi Ali al-Jamal, radiallahu anhum, he said, if you knew the value of, uh, of, um, of trouble, you would only ask Allah to give you trouble if you knew how valuable that is. And it's that understanding. And this is also the, the thing that will cre- creates equilibrium and sanity in someone because people try to want, run away from trouble instead of looking at it as, whoa, this Allah is honoring me with trouble or this is, you know, this will purify me in some way. And I remember uh, I was with uh, Habib Ahmed Mashura Haddad, and on on the Eid, the day of the Eid, I think it was in Ramadan Eid, his son Ali, Allah yarhamhu, uh, his his shop burned down, everything burnt. And I went to Habib. I said, "I'm so sorry, you know, that Ali's shop, Sayyid Ali's shop, burned." And he said, "It's Tahara." You know, that's the way he saw it. It's purification. And for sure, he, he got back up on his feet. He reconstituted his business and went on. And this is what happens. And, uh, you know, it's not, you know, to have a, a spiritual life isn't a ticket to security. I mean, things, Habib Ali Jifri told this story at uh, uh, Peter Sanders' book launch of um, someone who, who was asking uh, a sheikh for the uh, Ismul Adham, the great name. And the sheikh said, you're not ready for it. No, you, you, I'm not giving you permission. He was really upset. And he walked out, you know, very upset. And he saw in the, in the street an old man being beaten by youth, you know, and he didn't feel strong enough to be able to defend him. And so he, he went, marched back into the sheikh and said, look, if you gave me the Ismail Adham, you know, I would have strength and I would be able to protect this old man. And the sheikh said, that old man, he has the Ismail Adham. <laughs> he was getting whacked. So it's, it's, it, it, this world is a world that gives you a kind of equilibrium and a sanity. Uh, particularly in this time, it's 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 very very, and it's not other than Islam. 
It is Islam, but it's Islam in, in a certain way. And I asked Sheikh Mohammed al-Jilani, who's a Qadri Sheikh, I said, what, you know, what's the difference between someone who is very pious, very religious, and does, you know, does more ibadah than I do, for sure, and reads Quran and makes Umrah, you know, what's the difference between him and someone who's on a path? You know, we hear about this all the time. He said, because that person may be accumulating blessings, no, without any question. And there's no, no, nothing wrong at all in what he's doing. But the one who's on the path is moving because he's, he has the guidance of a teacher who knows how to bring people along step by step by step so that they're here. And then they're here. They're, you know, they're one place. And then within a few years, they're, they're, they're advanced. They have things, something opens. They have openings and that sort of thing, which made a lot of sense to me. I just, I think we, we, we need to relook at what Islam is supposed to be. And so that, you know, the, the long answer to your short question is we, we really want to sort of, shift the understanding of young people if you know who are interested uh to to understand that is that to understand islam in a different way that it's not this religion or this something that's that's antiquated because this is what the reformists in the 20th century uh, hammered away at and and also the secularists that islam was this spent force that it was or that it, it's actually it's not really a religious thing it's a political movement uh, some of the you know the, the so-called ulama have have described it as uh, it's and it's not about acquiring territory and it's not about getting back at the uh, the the um, kufar and it, it's something else completely and uh if if we can if we can help people in that direction just to have a, a better understanding then i think i think it will it will be worthwhile inshallah i mean inshallah and i can attest that nothing can be more inspiring than witnessing and seeing and reading and hearing about the lives of such illustrious human beings it's incredibly inspiring even us just having this conversation is inspiring i feel inspired so this work is extremely uh, invaluable, uh, Sidi Harun. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. And uh, when when can we look forward to maybe the availability of this new series? Yeah, the book is embar- embargoed until July 2nd. On July 2nd, we're launching, we have a worldwide launch in at the Bradford Literature Festival. So we've promised not to um, distribute the book, but we're pre-selling the book. And the, um, the, the, it can be uh, purchased through, and we're selling uh, the, uh, the series in box sets. We're not selling individual books. And, uh, the, they can, it can be purchased through the website, uh, which is www.theexemplars, T-H-E-E-X-E-M-P-L-A-R-S theexemplars.com and uh, and it gives a description of the books and you see what they look like and, and so on um, and and we hope that the, the website will become a resource for more um, more information about this 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 area of understanding of Islam inshallah I mean inshallah and we'll make sure to include links to that website and any of your other resources and references in the description or the show notes below this recording. I want to thank you, Sidi Harun, for, for taking the time and uh, spending this conversation with us. May Allah Almighty grant this work to reach far and wide, inshallah, into open hearts. Inshallah. inshallah. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and, and your patience. And uh, I hope I hope that it was... Uh, uh, it's there's some value for people. Tremendous value, Sid Harun. If I can indulge you, maybe just to conclude uh, our meeting today with uh, a supplication and a dua for 
our audience and for our ummah and for our, all of us. Subhanallah, Subhanallah. Allah, Allah, give us knowledge, give us true knowledge, and give us, uh, give us a, a, a true path, and give us the company of the best people, and keep us in in that company and protect us, protect our our religion and protect our our hearts from the the temptations of of the world around us which are huge and compelling and allah forgive us for for anything that we've done wrong and know and allah let let us let us understand the nature of tauba and the nature of of your forgiveness your endless forgiveness and and that you're the tawab rahim that you're merciful and oft returning and uh, allah guide us on the sirat al mustaqim bismillahir rahmanir rahim alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin arrahmanir rahim maliki yawmiddin iyyaka na'budu wa iyyaka nasta'in ihdinas sirat al mustaqim sirat alladhina an'amta alayhim غير المغضوب عليهم ولا I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Soul of Islam Radio and this interview with Harun Sugich. To learn more about Sidi Harun and his latest work, please visit www.theexemplars.com. For additional resources to support you upon your personal path of spiritual growth and personal development, please visit our new website at www.borderpoint.com to your divine and eternal success.